Welcome to the show. Just a heads up, if you've been hearing me talk about these group calls for our Patreon members, well, the first five have been so successful that I've decided to up our game. So we're now doing two group calls a month. So every other Friday, we're going to have a group call for you guys. So our next three group calls are going to be with Diana Goodwin of MarketBox. You heard her story on the previous episode, which is episode 180. We've also got Dr. Matt Kalinsky from episode 179, who's going to give you some advice on pitching to investors since he's a business investor himself. And last but not least, we have the sex toy entrepreneur, Brian Sloan, where he revealed his story on episode 77. So go catch up on those episodes if you're even slightly interested in joining our group calls. And you can learn more about becoming a member in the episode notes below. And last but not least, before we get started with this episode, just want to give a shout out to our new members. And there's a bunch of them. So Alice B. in Los Angeles, California. Earl Brown of Radiant Ride in Stockton, California. Adam DeCamp of Alpine Tactical in Colorado Springs. Ricardo Medina in Bakersfield, California. Patricia Joe of Modern Mix in Atlanta, Georgia. Ivan in Boston. Carol Tan in Malaysia. John Young in Laguna Beach, California. So thank you all for becoming members and we look forward to helping you with all of your businesses. So especially with our two group calls a month now, you're going to get double the calls for the same price. So don't miss out on this opportunity to learn from other business owners and our past guests. So if you want to join these elite business owners, then you know what to do. Sign up to become a Patreon member using the link below. People in general really love to see a human aspect behind a brand or business. And oftentimes it's just a logo or just a website. And when you can put a guy's face or a girl's face with that, it's really powerful and people feel really bought into the community. you're able to turn that initial $5,000 into $3 million in sales in that first year. Basically at the end of 2018, approaching 2019, I was like, there's something here. I think the scariest thing, which was the hardest at the time was, I don't think I slept after I told my boss at Google for two weeks after that. It was just like every day waking up in a cold sweat. I went to my wife and she's a through line in this whole story. And she was like, you've got this, be confident in this. And like, I knew deep down, but she just pulled it out of me and just made me feel great. And she's like, if anything happens, I'm never going to lame you. So she was like really the number one cheerleader to say, Hey, let's go for this. My name is Adam Hendel. I'm 37 living in Los Angeles, California, and I am the founder of Ballsy. So Ballsy is a men's personal care brand focused on below the belt. And yes, that's kind of what you think of below the belt, that is the right area. So we've definitely taken a ballsy and bold approach to men's personal care, focusing on an area that I think has been overlooked for guys for quite some time. We've been happily filling the gap now for about three years. Are you just talking about men's legs? (laughs) Exactly. I guess right above the men's legs area in their groin region specifically. I gotcha. And below the belly button. Yes. There you go. We've narrowed it in now. What are your products for your company here? Yeah. So the main three products for the hero products are ball wash, which is an activated charcoal ball and body wash. We have an on the go deodorizing spray called sack spray. And then our other product is nut rub, which is a solid beeswax based cologne. And we've since expanded into other products and happy to go into those, but those are really like the three core products. And the other one I want to mention actually is ball guard, which is our newest product, which is if you've ever used gold bond or some sort of powder on your groin region to help with sweating, chafing, irritation, and odor, this is a lotion that dries as a powder. So it gets rid of the mess and just kind of difficulty of applying it, but dries as a powder to help with all of those issues. And we launched that at the end of 2019 and it's done really well. Are women allowed to use these products? We love our ballsy women. Some of my favorite comments in our Facebook group and just on ads are, hey, I bought this for my husband and now it's you know my favorite body wash and I use it all the time. And I really think that actually kind of goes back to when I first started the company. You know, I ran all the products branding through my wife and she uses them as well. So I've always had that kind of female eye on it, which I'm really proud of. If guys are like interested or whatever, are they using it because they sweat a lot and then their balls smell bad or something of that nature? I'm just trying to figure out like how someone stumbles upon your product and end up finding it and using it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our discovery is done through Facebook and Instagram and our real tool of discovery is through gifting. 
Right. So we've done really well around taking those three core products that I mentioned and putting them in like a themed gift box. So for example, for Valentine's Day, the idea was how do we get females to buy this product for their guys and not make it like, hey, you have stinky balls, right? You've got an issue. We obviously don't want that to come across. We want it to be an endearing way to introduce a new high quality product to their guy. So my wife actually came up with the slogan, I'm nuts about you, or the idea of putting all of these products in a fun gift box that says, I'm nuts about you. That just really resonated on Facebook and Instagram. We're just getting thousands of comments from women. It was a really cool gift. So what I think they like about it is one, it's fun. It's different. It's a product that's under 50 bucks. So it's like a really good price point. And then two, the brand is very fun and playful, but we really take the product quality seriously. We make everything in the US. We're free of sulfates, parabens, dyes. We really care about the product quality. So it's this fun kind of gift they get to give to their guy. They get to see the reaction in the way that they I guess kind of respond to the product, but they really feel good about the product that we're giving. So our favorite reviews are like, hey, I bought this as kind of fun gift for my husband, significant other, and now it's his favorite body wash and he absolutely loves it. So that's really been our acquisition tool is like using these gifting moments to get it in the hands of people as kind of this Trojan horse, if you will, through the humor, but keeping them around with the product quality. Yeah, because it's clever. I mean, if no one's going to your website, it's called ballwash.com. You can go there, but your logo is pretty clever with like two acorns there, right? Did your wife come up with that too? No, I came up with that one. Nice. Yeah. So you did something. It wasn't all your wife. I did something. I mean, she's done a lot, but I've had a few things here and there. I think that we had discussed earlier, seems like a fun product yet. People, they like to use it after they maybe they're gifted or whatever. But talking about this being taken seriously, even though it's fun and you want to have fun, is that difficult at all? I think there's always a fine line between humor and playfulness and getting the quality of the product across. And if you take a look at the website of the product packaging, I mean, something called ball washer sack spray could look like a joke or something that's super novel or gimmicky. And all of our design and product and photography, everything that we do, we try and do it like an elite level. Like we really make sure everything is very polished. It looks very professional, a little bit more upscale than what you would think, you know, something called ball wash would look like. So yeah, while the names are fun, the branding and the product ingredients are serious. And that's really, I think, done very well for us to date. And then furthermore, you know, each individual product, like the ingredients that we select in there all have specific purposes and for those ingredients, for example, like the sack spray as a deodorizing spray, helping with the irritation has witch hazel in there, which helps with the irritation and then zinc reconylate, which helps with deodorizing. So it's not just fun names, like they are functional products that really help guys with different sorts of needs. Yeah, and that comes across, I'm glad the way you even said it, to me, it almost looks like cologne, the way you have it. Like it's all black in case anyone's wondering. So to me, it makes it look more premium than you could have like funny icons on there for each of them. But again, you wanted to have the good marketing ploy of like, hey, these are cool names, fun names for anything, but also be taken somewhat seriously. So that definitely comes across in the pictures that you have on there. With this though, also it says body wash. So can you use like that on your whole body or what's the deal with that? Yeah. So actually all of our products, you know, we like to say if it's good enough for down there, it's great enough for everywhere. I mean, even the deodorizing spray, you know, I throw that in my gym bag when I used to be able to visit the gym <laughs> pre-corona. And, you know, I spray this down on my entire body. It just smells great as an overall body spray. The ball wash, it says on there for your nuts, butt, and body. We put activated charcoal in there that really helps to detoxify the skin, which works really well for the groin region, but it also works great on all areas of the body. The nut rub solid cologne is a beeswax-based cologne. Again, like you wouldn't want to put alcohol or anything like super perfumey on your groin, but the beeswax in it actually helps with a lot of irritation, soothes anything that you may have and go down there. And it's not overly perfumey. It doesn't sting. It actually feels good. But again, like I use that as a full body, like daily driver cologne, you know, I put on my neck, chest, arms, and we've actually had a lot of customers come up with different ideas for the products that they've used them in, such as like a beard balm with that solid cologne, or just like an overall like room deodorizing spray with the sack spray. So it's been really cool to kind of see these products that were very specific in intention also being able to use for other applications. And so how long has the company been around? So we launched officially in basically Black Friday of 2017. Oh, wow. That was your like launch day? Yeah. I mean, I soft launched it leading up to that, but like... Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. Can you explain the difference just so everyone knows maybe a soft launch and it seems like the big launch on Black Friday? So the soft launch, we did just a few weeks before that. And that was really just kind of like friends, family, getting the word out. 
to close relationships and acquaintances to kind of test the website, buy the products. We obviously did product testing before that, but this is more just like the website launch to see if there's any hiccups and you know how shipping would work and all of that. So for the first three weeks or so, it was really that. And then around Black Friday is really when we started to do paid advertising and ramping up marketing efforts outside of just the people that we knew. And again, so everyone knows on the same page, like a soft launch, maybe you're telling your friends and family or maybe you just put the website up to make sure the orders work. Correct. If you went live the very first day on Black Friday with it, and you're like, if something was wrong with your shopping cart, then you lost all your sales. So I've always heard that advice whenever I heard from entrepreneurs is like, whether you're open a yogurt shop or a restaurant or whatever, you never want to have a grand opening on the first day you literally open because you're training people like that first day. And the same thing with the e-commerce site, like you're saying, it's like, you just want to work out the kinks first. So at least a couple of weeks beforehand, just put it up, make sure everything's working. And then you can have a special day where, hey, this is our real launch day, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think, yeah, we got a good overview of your brand, like Ballsy in general. How about we reel back to whenever you graduated college and kind of figure out how you got there and then we can go more in detail about the Ballsy brand. Yeah, getting in the way back machine. Okay. Thinking back to college now. Yeah. So I went to college in Wisconsin. So UW-Whitewater, Wisconsin for marketing. Graduated there. And during that whole time, I was in a band. Like My lifelong dream and goal was to be a touring musician. So upon graduating college, I didn't want to like jump immediately in a full-time gig. So I bartended over the next few years while my band was trying to make it. And I think this honestly... like reflected back over the last you know, 15 years or so, one of the most important and formative times on how I got to where I am today. Because as I was running the band, I really kind of ran it from A to Z. So I did all the graphic design for the t-shirts, the website, booked the shows, got people to the shows. I really cut my teeth early on. I'm like, how do you do design? Like, how does Photoshop work? How do you book a show? How do you get people to do a show? I didn't know at that time, but a lot of those skills have really translated in the long run to just being an entrepreneur and a business owner, which was invaluable. So I did that for about three, four years. We got super close on some record deals and unfortunately did not happen. Also during this time, as a side hustle, I launched this website called I Am The Trend. And I Am The Trend was basically a way to promote small, independent clothing lines, most specifically around like men's t-shirts. The biggest one that people might know would be like Johnny Cupcakes. I just thought there was a lot of really cool independent clothing lines that no one had heard of. And there was really not a great way to find out about them. So I launched a website and eventually a YouTube channel very early days on YouTube. This is like 2009, 2008 when this was going on and really built this community around independent businesses. And you're like 26, 27 at the time? Yeah. Maybe a little bit younger, 25, yeah. So mid-20s and having some success with that. Drove a lot of traffic, built up this community of people that were looking to start clothing brands, own clothing brands, or just were into t-shirts and clothing in general. And that caught the eye of this San Francisco-based startup called Store Envy. And Store Envy is basically a Shopify platform meets Etsy. So you would get a store builder and then you would take all of the products in your store and then put them in a marketplace to help drive discovery of new products for small businesses. So they saw kind of the community that I built around you know, these small independent businesses of my own and asked me to come to San Francisco and help them do that for their store owners. And when I joined, I think we had about 8,000 stores. And by the time I left, we had about 100,000 stores, which was just an amazing experience. And again, super invaluable for me because I got to see behind the scenes on how, you know, a hundred thousand different e-commerce brands worked, gained a lot of valuable insight there. So up till you're in your mid twenties, you're kind of on your own, I guess with the band and you're doing the, I am the trend website. I imagine you aren't making too much money, right? Being an independent guy and being in a band up to this point. Yeah, definitely not. Splitting a house with three other guys in the band and eating pizza and just having a good time. Yeah. And were you still in like Wisconsin or were you in California now at this point? Oh, good question. So I had moved back to suburbs of Chicago. So I grew up in Crystal Lake, suburb of Chicago and moved back to that area. Right after college? Right after college. Yep. So when you're starting, I am the trend. And then it sounds like this company got interested in your community. You ended up joining the company called Stormby. That's correct. And they were based in San Francisco. So I had to make the choice. Did we pack up my wife and dog at the time and head out West? And that's what we did. Okay. So you're saying 2011 or so is when that happened? Yep. I guess upper 20s, you're moving to San Francisco. This is the first time you're probably really making decent money, I guess, if you're moving all the way to San Francisco for it too, right? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was still early stage startup, so definitely nothing crazy, but better money than I ever made before. And unfortunately, as salary went up, so did expenses in San Francisco. So life remained about the same. It was better overall. Right. You're saying basically it's kind of a Shopify online store and it heard you. So you said there was 8,000 online stores and that you saw it grow to over 80,000 or so actually online stores. So you're able to see how like an e-commerce platform could grow while you were there. Yeah, absolutely. So like my main job there was to try and help one, grow the community of store owners. So like just the physical amount of stores that we had and then help them be successful on the platform. So what I did was kind of look and see what successful businesses were doing on Store Envy and then pull some of those learnings together into like blog articles, just build a community group as well, like a Facebook group to help teach other store owners. So I was able to kind of take a behind the scenes look at what worked, compile that information and then teach it to others to help that they were successful. Because obviously the goal of our Store Envy or startup was to help independent businesses become successful. And that was really my focus for about three years. It's really insightful. So as soon as you said you were setting up the Patreon, it was just like, yeah, I'll help this guy. You know, I take a lot of value from it. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Well, I was going to say, have you checked out our newest Patreon episode? Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, I'm in the car. I'll just listen to it, whatever. But I'm not getting anything out of this. And then you're like, wow, I'm not that naive or anything, but it really did open your eyes. Appreciate you doing the call here. Yeah, favorite podcast by far. I love it. Oh, yeah? Why is that? So I graduated 2017 from Michigan. I heard that shout out the other day. That was pretty cool. Basically, two months after I graduated, I started listening to the podcast. Loved it. I think there were maybe 30 episodes or something out by that point. And I consider myself to be pretty entrepreneurial. Started a business last year. This helped a ton. It's hard, I think, to find entrepreneurs. I was just looking for entrepreneurial meetups. And I think, wow, this is more of an awesome opportunity to talk with other entrepreneurs. The value is, I mean, it's insane. Like people make these types of entrepreneurial insight things are thousands of dollars. This is 12 per month, but per month is like nothing. I'm kind of curious here. It seemed like you're good at going a community. You're saying with I am the train and you're saying you made a Facebook group and built a community with Store Envy and helped those people too. Can you give us some tidbits or some advice if we're trying to build our own community? Like actually me personally, I'm trying to do that with our Facebook group now. So this personally will help me, but I'm sure it'll help some others as far as any bits of advice that you have here for anybody here. Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to just engagement and consistency. Early on, when you only have a few people in the group, it's kind of hard to get conversations going, keep them going and growing. But for us, I think the main thing that helped is one, everyone that signed up for a store, I was reaching out to them to let them know about the community. So making sure that people that are already interested in Store Envy or might have some interest or could gain something from a group were invited. It seems like a no-brainer, but that's often overlooked. So we were making sure that everyone knew of the group by following up with emails. And then once they were in the group, Group, you know, making sure that we were engaging with them immediately, welcoming them to the group, the personal notes, making sure that they knew I was there to answer questions, putting up contests to keep people engaged. It was also really good. Giving away like a free year of store envy was a contest that we did in the group to get conversations going. Also like leaning on the community itself for expertise and knowledge. We had a lot of store owners in there. And I think a lot of times as a community manager, it kind of feels like it's on you to help everyone along. But I think the best communities are really the ones that you can get the community themselves to like help each other. And then almost as a community manager, you can step into the background and let them take off with it. I mean, obviously, you know, provide guide rails, but towards the end, when I was there at Store Envy, it was really that. I was able to kind of like take a step back and really gave the people that were in the group the ability to just kind of take it over and help each other. And it definitely took some time, but I think it goes back to what I said, it's just being consistent, being engaged, being helpful and being like the face of the brand or business that you represent. I think people in general really love to see a human aspect behind a brand or business. And oftentimes it's just a logo or just a website. And when you can put a guy's face or a girl's face, but with that, it's really powerful and people feel really bought into the community. Yeah. Would you check in multiple times a day, every day? And then how long would that take? Did it take maybe six months or even a year before it was priced? 
everyone's self-regulating and because <laughs> I understand that it definitely takes time. Yeah. I'm just curious. This is what kept me from doing it for so long, to be honest, because I've been doing this podcast for almost three years coming up. And it's like, I understood the mental bandwidth that I would have to use to try to build the community. But now I think I have enough connections with enough listeners and there's actually some conversations going on in there that I'm not even privy to, which is great. That's the best. Yeah, that's what I want. I want more and more of that, but I realized, okay, Austin, you got to make sure you still go in there and keep trying to get more and more people. I mean, I'm still at the very, very starting stages of it, but that's what kept me from ever doing it in the beginning is I realized it seemed like a lot of work. So I'm just curious how long it took you until you start seeing this role. And so again, if other people want to build other communities that they don't think it's going to be like a one week thing and it's good to go. Yeah, definitely not. It took a lot of time and a lot of effort. I mean, that was my sole focus there, right? So I was looking at that community group all day, every day. And then when I got home, if I got notifications, I was also responding really quickly in there. And that type of engagement really goes noticed by the community members. They feel like they're heard and they want to take the time to spend time in there. There is definitely a time commitment there, like a large one. And then in terms of like how long it took before we had like a good amount of momentum, I would say it was about six months and we had a lot of different people helping out and contributing thoughts and help to the community. I think the one thing that I did to make sure there was engagement in there was kind of planning out the week. Are there, is there one question a week that you can post to the group? Is there one contest? Is there one photo? Planning out the week and like, what is the group going to look like? If you don't set the schedule or set what content's going to be posted, nothing will. So you kind of got to set the tone and get people kind of accustomed to what to expect. And then all of a sudden they start, you know, jumping in with ideas and taking over. You know, I like everything you're saying, because I agree planning out and making sure these posts go out. So I'm actually, I've been doing all that. So maybe it feels like you're reading my mind. That's great. Yeah. Just want to reemphasize. That's why I held off on doing it. Because I realized I'm like, let me make a good podcast and have good guests on here like Adam. And then we'll focus on the community. So I'll let you know how it goes and maybe ask you for some advice later on. Good luck. It's definitely no easy sledding. Uh, to be honest, we have a ballsy community group right now. And as a founder of the business, it's just so hard for me to keep it engaged as much as I want to as well. I'm struggling that, with that now. It just really does take time and consistency. And it's hard to fit that in sometimes when you got a million different things going on. Right. When you actually have to make money and worry about your product first. And I could see how it could be a lot more difficult for your brand, I guess, per se, versus like an e-commerce store where those people probably need a lot more help right? Where they're going in there and connecting versus maybe your brand today. Am I thinking about that right? hundred percent true. When we had the Facebook group around store owners, like they really have questions and really need help and assistance. And how do I do this? Or has anyone seen this change on the store or whatever? We're, you know, our group right now amongst Facebook, our Facebook, we call them ballers for a ballsy community is more just like, bouncing off product ideas from them. We give them sneak peeks of things that we're thinking about and then them posting pictures of them with the product and just kind of getting engaged with the community, which is more of just a passive, fun group to keep people engaged, which is definitely a lot more difficult to keep going. That's something for people to think about because if they have a product like yours, they're like, oh, I want to build a community about it around it. Well, it's going to be a lot harder than probably me and my Facebook group if I've got a group of entrepreneurs who are like people asking, needing like business questions answered, you know, so I should have hopefully enough momentum that we'll see how it goes here. So good luck. Yeah. Make sure y'all join. I'll put the link in the episode description below. So check that out if y'all want to join again. All right. Yeah. So back to your story. So you being at Stone Envy and I guess you're in San Francisco there for a couple of years. Yeah, Store Envy. So I was there for about three years and right towards the end of it, well, I guess it became the end of it because of this, I met a pair of entrepreneurs, Dave and Agnes, who were starting a company called FameBit. And FameBit was a self-service influencer marketing platform specifically aimed towards YouTubers. And again, this is very early on. Influencer marketing and working with influencers was just not a thing or as much of a thing five, six years ago. No one really thought about it. And when they approached me with that idea, it immediately resonated because the I Am The Trend YouTube channel for years. And I never made a dime off of it, which is fine because I got hundreds of t-shirts, which was really the fun part about it. But it just resonated like, wow, if somebody would have helped me make money during that time, it would have just been a game changer. So that idea just really excited me. And they were in the middle of raising their seed round. They were based in Los Angeles and they extended me an offer as soon as they raised their funding to come down and kind of help build their community of influencers and also brands that wanted to know more about influencer marketing. So moved from San Francisco down to LA, was the first full-time employee at FameBit. Yeah, that's exactly what we did, was build this self-service influencer marketing platform and really helped kind of, I think, solidify like what influencer marketing is. Later on, that company was also purchased by Google, which was an extraordinary thing. I mean, that's always like the dream outcome, right? Is to be at a startup that's acquired and then let alone 
Google was really interesting and incredible experience. Just to make sure that I understand, because you're saying you didn't make a lot of money doing the I am the trend, you just got t-shirts. Were you considered an influencer? Is that what you're saying? And this is what this new company did? They were helping influencers like you could have used that for yourself back in the day? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have called me an influencer. You know, it was like <laughs> yeah. I said, 2008, 2009. I don't think there was really a name for that, right? It was just some dude with a YouTube channel and I think I had about 6,000 subscribers. I didn't even know to tell people to subscribe. It just wasn't like a thing, right? People just posted videos to YouTube then. I mean, building up a branded channel just wasn't something that everyone did. I wish I knew now what I did back then. It would have been a different game for sure. But yeah, I mean, the idea of an influencer and building a channel of people that really looked up to you or just respected what you had to say or were interested in what you had to say it was really something that resonated with me. And then obviously FameBit helping those influencers monetize and make money from that was really exciting. And again, right now, this seems like such a no-brainer. You know, Everyone's very familiar with YouTube influencers, Instagram influencers, and how they make money. But five, six years ago, it really wasn't the case. No one was really doing that. On YouTube, there was MCN model where basically you would get paid based on your ads that ran on your channel and you get a cut with whoever your MCN was, like full screen, for example. But getting paid for branded content, a brand to send you a product and you to talk about it really just wasn't happening then. What's an MCM that you just said? Yeah, so it's a multi-channel network. A lot of them honestly have died off now, but basically they would be an agency for a bunch of different YouTube channels. And then they would help you theoretically get paid more or eventually get some brand sponsorships. But yeah, they kind of helped get you some monetization early on. But it wasn't really focused on brand deals early on under the gate. And if you wanted to work with an MCN as a brand, you needed $50,000 to $100,000 to even get in the ballpark. And I think what was cool about FameBit early on was any brand with 50 bucks could hire an influencer and get their name out there. That's cool because I mean, I think a lot of people understand that maybe these YouTube influencers or other influencers, they might see that they're promoting a brand and stuff, but I didn't know how they still go about getting them. But like FameBit is one of these. If you go, I guess, FameBit.com, you're saying that this is how those people who have a lot of influencers, if you will, can find sponsorship deals and put them as sponsors within their YouTube videos, you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now there's a million different ways and there's a million different agencies and platforms and ways to work with an influencer, but we were definitely one of the first to take this like self-service approach. And the self-service approach, you know, happy to unfold that a bit, was basically a brand could go on to famebit.com, say, hey, I have this campaign. I'm looking to promote, well, just say my brand. I'm looking to promote Ballsy. I'm looking for this type of audience and I have this type of budget. And then YouTubers could go on to FameBit, see all the different campaign opportunities and say, hey, like I have an audience that I think would resonate with Ballsy. I accept your $250 offer. You would send them the product and they would post about it. As opposed to like having to work again with like a large scale company on like a massive budget. And I think the other thing that was really cool and different was we were going after smaller YouTubers, people that have 5,000 subscribers to like 100,000, where we weren't talking about people that had a million subscribers. So again, just two different ways to approach influencer marketing. But now it's a whole different ballgame altogether. Yeah. I mean, you were reading my mind because I was going to ask if Ballsy was actually on FameBit. Are y'all? I'm not on FameBit right now. So FameBit's changing the business model quite a bit. So it's a little different than what it is now. Gotcha. I get you probably spend a lot of your advertising dollars on Pornhub or something. <laughs> You're just pegging me, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really would tell me that's not a good idea, right? I don't know. We could talk about it later, but I'm actually curious. I was kind of joking around, but then I'm like, you know what? It kind of makes sense. We were absolutely approached by Pornhub and other adult websites to advertise Ballsy on there. And we've just decided as a brand, like, that's not for us. Yeah, it's too much for you. Yeah, I get you. I guess you could have Naughty Ballsy, and that could be a different brand that you put on there. Yeah, absolutely. X-rated version. So you said FameBit was acquired by Google. So then did you actually go work for Google for a couple of years too? Yeah, I did. Right towards the end of FameBit is when I started having the idea for Ballsy and was starting to kind of get it going on the side. And then the acquisition with Google happened and I was like, all right, I'm just going to shelve that. Really excited to join Google and obviously work there. So I worked there for about six months and then I couldn't get the idea of ballsy out of my head. And then I started working on that again in my part-time when I got home. So I was really running ballsy and Google kind of at the same time for about a year and a half until I decided to leave Google in February of last year. So February, 2019. Yeah. Oh, so basically the whole time you're almost at Google when Google acquired you, you were doing this as a side business and now you've just finally put in your full time into it. Well, by now, I mean, basically over the past year or so. 
Yeah, it's been just over a year now, year and a couple months full-time on Ballsy. But yeah, the first year and a half was all part-time, hustling, getting home, playing with my daughter, seeing the wife, putting the daughter down to bed and then working all night. So, I mean, we got to figure out why, like, we know what the product does, but I mean, is it because you were sweating a lot down south? Is that why you created it? Because you said you're thinking about a lot. I'm just curious how you figured you needed to make this product. I always feel like this part sounds made up, but honestly, the idea came to me in the shower. There's always a cliche of great ideas come to you into the shower. Like this one happened in the shower and just so happened to be a shower product. And basically the reason was I was just in the shower and just so happened to notice how many different products my wife had. It seems like females have always had different products for different areas, different issues. And guys, it's just been like a three in one shampoo, conditioner, body wash all in one. Or if you're like advanced, you've got a shampoo, conditioner and body wash separate. I was just like, God, why do guys do not have more specific products to take care of our needs? Like we've got needs too. It was just kind of this aha moment in the shower. I'm like, I wonder if anyone's ever created something called ball wash. It's a fun name. It's bold. It would get people's attention. So I literally jumped out of the shower, Google searched ball wash and nothing came up. And this was right around the time where I was just starting to get into more high quality men's personal care products for myself. So like moving out of the Old Spice and Dove and into just higher quality products. And I was like, could be really cool to marry this fun, playful brand with a high quality product that serves a purpose. So that really kind of got me on this road of thinking about what that could be. My first step after realizing that ball wash was available was to see if I could actually make my own body wash. So I'm on YouTube, like Googling how to make body washes and like what could make it different for that area. Went over to Whole Foods, bought a bunch of ingredients and materials, started mixing up my own body washes, quickly realized I am not a chemist, a much better marketer, but it was a cool experience to kind of try and figure it out and really understand what goes into product like that because this was totally new for me. And then that put me down the road of like, all right, well, if I'm not going to make it, and obviously that's not scalable, how do I get this made? I really didn't want to invest a lot of money into this. Like I wanted to kind of just launch it, see how it could do. And then if it had some traction, scale it up. So I set aside $5,000. I was like, all right, here's the plan. Like I'm going to put 5K aside. If I can't get it going or some traction with this, then I'm just not going to pursue it. So next step was trying to figure out who would manufacture a body wash or like what is even a product manufacturer look like? So again, back to Google searching through countless calls to product manufacturers and every single one of them has a much higher MOQ or minimum order quantity than what I wanted to do. Like most people require you to do 5,000 of a product of this nature before they'll even talk to you, right? And like I said, I had $5,000, that math just doesn't add up. So a little frustrated, it took me, I think I did that for probably five, six months, just searching, asking people, hitting my head against the wall, couldn't find anyone. Luckily, I got introduced to this company in Michigan who focused on natural personal care products and they were family owned, they were small. So got them on the phone, started talking about the idea. I was like, I have this idea for this product called Ball Wash. They're like, full stop, like we're in, we want to make this product for you. I'm like, well, might only do like 500 units. You guys cool with that? And they're like, yeah, we really like the idea. We'd be happy to help develop it with you. So they really took a chance on me as somebody that like only wanted to do a few hundred units, didn't really have a lot of personal care background, but they took the chance on me. And I think that was really, really important for the business and brand early on was finding the right partner that I could grow from a small position to a larger scale company. So we spent the next six months kind of formulating ball wash. And I think the real breakthrough moment is this is when like activated charcoal was really starting to like have a moment in just personal care, specifically around teeth whitening. But we had the idea that some of the properties that are in activated charcoal could work really good as a detoxifying agent in body wash. So we added it into the body wash and lo and behold, like it was just a great formula. It worked really well. It was like, this is it. And then that's when we kind of were off to the races on that first production run. Do you still use those people today to make your product? Yeah, I still do. So we've added a few other manufacturers for other products, but they are still our core manufacturer for ball wash, nut rub, sack spray. How did you Google or find those people? Because you kept saying how hard it was, it seems like, to find these people. If someone wants to make a product, we're trying to help them out as much as we can to figure out the best way to find these people to actually do a small test run of these units where you don't have to do 5,000. Like you're saying, you can do 500 with somebody. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have like a great answer on how that happened other than I just did a lot of Google searching of like product manufacturers, body wash manufacturers, personal care manufacturers, and then just called and called and called. And a lot of times we're like, you know, we'll get back to you and never heard back. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, it's a frustrating part to be in where you're at. I have an idea, like I'm 
very excited about the idea. I have X amount of money, but those two things, just getting it to production doesn't work with like those set of circumstances. But luckily I kept pushing on and pushing on and then finally got an introduction to somebody that gave me the chance. So I think it's just a lot of, you know, just grunt work. I mean, there's not like a magic bullet to it. It's knocking on the doors, placing the phone calls, not giving up, asking friends of friends if they know anyone that could help you. Finally for us, we got the breakthrough. And honestly, that one phone call is the reason why I have the brand that I have today. And it would have been a lot easier to you know, give up, definitely. Especially when I was at Google, things were good there. So it wasn't like I really needed to do this. This was like something that like I had a passion for and wanted to get done, but it would have been pretty easy to give it up. And don't get me wrong. There was definitely some times where I thought, what am I wasting my time doing this with? Like, I've got a great job. Money's good. Why am I wasting my time on this? But couldn't get it out of my head. Is there any regulation or anything that you have to go through with some type of body wash? Like, I don't know what departments or whatever with like the US, if they have to do a lot of testing on this or what's the deal with that? That's a good question. So as long as your manufacturer has like the right certifications, you're fine. And as long as there's not what would be like a drug component. So like antiperspirants have is a drug compared to a deodorant, which is not because it has aluminum in it. So we don't have anything that's in our product that classifies it as a drug. So it doesn't have to go through like specific FDA, I guess, regulations, but our facility is certified and has the certifications that they need to be able to make those products. So it really just kind of differs based on what product you're doing, like hand sanitizer, again, like that has to go through the FDA and like the, the ingredient list needs to be approved and things like that. But on a body wash, they really don't. Okay. Well, that's interesting because I thought I've heard something. It's funny. I'm glad you brought up antiperspirant versus even deodorant. I didn't know the difference here because I've heard of these type of products that you have to put on your body that I thought the FDA regulated it. But then now you're saying, yeah, it, it just depends. It seems like most of them, they don't, but these little differences, that means they can make them be regulated versus non-regulated. There's nuances. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to the store and look at the back of a deodorant versus an antiperspirant, like the labels will look much different. One will be like drug facts and it's like a very standard FDA label and the other one won't. It'll just say what the ingredients are. So yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. That's on really a product by product basis. Yeah, learn something new every day. So I appreciate that. So yeah, you're doing this on the side and I guess it's middle of summer 2017. This is before, obviously, you're launching because you're testing a product. Yep. Walk us through, yeah, you told us you launched on a Black Friday. I don't know the best place to kind of go from here when you actually started it. Yeah, so like I said, soft launch leading up to Black Friday. Luckily, didn't really have any issues. So decided to start spinning up some Facebook ads, basically Black Friday weekend. Had 500 units roughly on hand, and we ended up selling out all 548 hours. And I was like, wow, all right, there's something here, right? And the way I went about that that might be interesting is I set up four different Facebook audiences, right? Like I had some ideas on who the customer was because I obviously did some research ahead of time, but I set up four different audiences. But the one that I didn't really think much about was the one that was the most successful. And that was a female only audience that they were in a relationship. So a female in a relationship and had an interest in active lifestyle. So I had a bunch of different interest groups on that. And that one, like the ROAS was just off the charts. It was like a 10X ROAS where like every dollar I put in, it was like $10 back where the ones targeting men was like a 2X or 3X around that time. So I was like, wow, there's something here with females. Like this is really resonating. Kind of going back to what I was saying about this is a great gift and something fun. So for that, I just went all in on the female. I turned off the male audience which I just would have never thought of to do launching. I was like, ah, the females might do a little bit, but I should have thought about this more. But females just in general buy a lot of the home products and personal care products for the guys that live there. And to this day, gifting or not, like females are 60% of our business, which I think is pretty surprising and remarkable from people that are looking at ballsy from the outside in. I know someone mentioned it. I know exactly what interview it was. Is Salim Katra. I forget exactly what episode number, but he was basically saying, and I agree with it, is that men, they just get in a routine of buying the same body wash and deodorant or shampoo as well, right? So we just get in that routine versus women are willing to try these other things because they have so many different products. And I guess it's just to point out for anyone who's listening is like, you are willing to test that. So it's great that you've had these four different audiences that you're trying to reach. So if someone's targeting certain audiences and it's not reaching what you want, just try something a little bit more off the wall, if you will, you know, that you were thinking, what's the worst that's going to happen? It seemed like the best thing that happened to you was actually trying that last audience group on Facebook to target them. And that's what really helped you succeed there in the beginning. 
Yeah, 100%. And I mean, you really hit the nail on the head with the comments about guys just kind of get in the routine. I've talked to so many guys, you know, I love to call our customers and kind of see how they're, what they're thinking about the product and like, what were you using beforehand? And they're like, hey, you know, I've been using Axe for the last 10 years. You know, I just never thought about my body wash or never thought about my deodorant. Like you just get locked in. So it's been really cool to disrupt some of those guys. And they're like, now the same guy that was spending $3 on body wash, our products aren't cheap. They're $20. So like they're upscaling because they, and they're seeing the humor got it in the shower, but like the product quality and the way it makes you feel is really what's keeping them around as a customer. And just guys in general, they've typically not really thought about that. Like I said, I kind of joke, but we're used to having like a three in one, a four in one, a five in one, like all the products in one bottle make it easy. But guys in general over the last five years or so as a trend are just caring a lot more about taking care of themselves, what products they use on their body. So I think that's just a change. And you can really see that just in, in terms of men's personal care trends online. And then also in retail, probably shop at Target a lot of your or a lot of your listeners have. The men's aisle for personal care at Target used to be a couple shelves. And oftentimes it's three, four rows or aisles of just men's personal care products. And that's because guys just care a lot more now. So it's a really cool time to be, you know, be a men's personal care brand. Small businesses have unique needs. And despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help you by matching your role with qualified candidates so that they can help you find the right person quickly. One of the features that I most like about LinkedIn Jobs that can help you find the right candidate is being able to target a candidate by the geographic area. And well, LinkedIn Jobs is an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for and puts your job post in front of qualified members every day so that it's seen by people looking for jobs just like yours. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com millionaire. Again, that's linkedin.com millionaire to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, Daniel, why do you actually end up becoming a member and joining our group? So for me, I'm actually working on a startup right now. And I really just wanted to network with entrepreneurs, people who've been in the business for a while. And it's been very helpful to meet people who are very experienced in various fields of business. And I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. Cool. Well, now I appreciate you becoming a member. I mean, you're a guy who's trying to develop an app, right? And I actually made sure we got a guy who helps with apps as one of our group calls. And it's because whatever our members need help with, I'm going to go try and help those people. So, I mean, did you find those group calls helpful at all? Yeah. I mean, those group calls are really helpful. It's great to be able to ask questions with experienced entrepreneurs and people who've been there and through the um, tough times. And it's very good to kind of get that background from them. Was there anything that was holding you back from wanting to join and why you eventually made the plunge? So for me, I just didn't know much about it, you know, and once you kind of explained it to me, but I just didn't really know what it entailed. And and am I paying you for this promo? No, no. <laughs> and so I guess when you finally quit Google and you went all in with your brand, how much money did you have then? What was the decision factor? Because if someone's listening, they want to have a side business and they want to make that jump. I'm just trying to figure out for them, what's the best way to do this? Or did you have something financially in mind that you had enough runway? Just walk us through that decision. As mentioned, you know, we sold the 500 units in 2017 over that weekend. And it was like this aha and just like, oh no moment. It was like, all right, we sold out. What are we going to do? Luckily, my product manufacturer stepped up to the plate and they made 15,000 units and we sold them all over December. It was like, all right, there's really something here. There's something excited about it. It's resonating. So we did really well in our first month of business. However, going into 2018, I was like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, is this only going to live for gifts? Is this only going to be a Christmas thing? Is this an anomaly? Or can this actually be a brand that lasts and can work all year round? So the idea there was, can I scale this business while still working a full-time job? Because I didn't want to take any money out of the ballsy. You know, like I said, I started with five grand. So I was just kind of growing the snowball of like making sales, placing the next PO to get more inventory and so on. So I said, okay, if I can work a full-time business or work a full-time job this whole year, spend a year at night on the weekends to really see if this brand has legs, then I'll make the decision. 
So I then tapped my partner, my partner now, Brock, who I met at Store Envy in San Francisco. We just immediately hit it off and worked together, brought him on in February of 2018. And again, like he took no pay for that year. I brought on another friend, Cisco, who helps with a lot of our creative. So like the three of us were like, all right, we're not going to get paid, but we need to prove out if this business has legs in the long term. And so that's what we did over 2018. And we were able to turn that initial $5,000 into $3 million in sales in that first year. Basically at the end of 2018, approaching 2019, I was like, there's something here. And now I can pay all of us to make this a full-time gig. That's what we did. And then in 2019, it was all about continuing to grow the business and brand. So is it just you three guys now who run the company? Yeah. And then we have two people that help out on customer support, but yeah, pretty lean and mean. Yeah. I'm assuming your wife's one of them. It sounds like because she comes up with all the ideas, right? Yes. So my wife is actually just helps out, you know, outside looking in. So she helps, you know, run everything by her. And then, yeah, we actually brought on another one of my friends, I forgot to mention, who runs all of our finances, which has been, you know, very important as well. We just brought him on full time this year. And all y'all's friendships have still been intact and everything's been good that way? So far, so good. Good to hear. I think that's what we all optimally want. We want to work. Like, even if they're not your friends you hire, you want to be with people that you like. And obviously, if you're friends, you like them. So it seems like you've got that part down. I guess for y'all, do y'all have like an office or like what's your work lifestyle with managing friends who are business guys now? I guess maybe they were originally, you met them in business. Am I hearing that right? So I met Brock in business in San Francisco. Eric, who's our finance, who runs finance for us. I met him in high school. So lifelong friends sit up at my wedding. And then uh, Cisco, who helps with some of the video production, he was my next door neighbor for a while. So kind of met them on all different paths of life, but we're actually all spread out as well. So we all work remote. I work from a WeWork, so does Brock in New York. So I'm in LA, Brock's in New York, Cisco's in San Diego, and then Eric is in Chicago. So Slack and Google Hangouts are our best friends. Yeah. Any good suggestions on like how to make sure you stay in communication with those guys? Are you jumping on like Zoom chats daily or you said Slack, obviously, but I'm just curious, like what's worked well for you if you have any advice for us, if we have like virtual teams like you do? Yeah. I mean, honestly, our team's so small that I just trust people to do what they need to do. So daily FaceTime or Hangouts, Zooms aren't something that we do. I mean, we don't even do them weekly. We just always keep an open dialogue through Slack, through text, and then calls. And then, yeah, we'll jump on you know, once a month to do planning for the month. But luckily, I've got a team that I just trust to execute. And I've never had to like really do anything more than like, here's the plans for the month, guys, or the plans for the year, and let's get out there and do it. And communication through Slack has been more than enough for us. So what's been the hardest thing looking back at maybe in Ballsy or even, I guess you can talk about your work life before that, but I'm trying to figure out what, what's been the hardest thing for you to overcome. I think the scariest thing, which was the hardest at the time was leaving Google to take this full time. You know, I have a wife that I mentioned and then I have a daughter. Obviously working for a company like Google is definitely has its perks and, you know, it's very stable and money was good and not as risky as just like, all right, I'm going to go all in on this ballsy thing. And even though, you know, at the time we had a few million dollars in sales, it was still in the back of my mind. Like, am I making the right decision for my family? I don't think I slept after I told my boss at Google for two weeks after that. It was just like every day waking up in a cold sweat. Is this the right decision? And I went to my wife and she's a through line in this whole story. And she was like, not physically slapped me, but verbally slapped me. Like, you've got this, be confident in this. And like, I knew deep down, but she just pulled it out of me and just made me feel great. And she's like, if anything happens, I'm never going to lame you or I'm not going to make you feel bad that you left this. So she was like really the number one cheerleader to say, hey, let's go for this. And without her support, have been a different story for sure. So definitely a scary moment and you know, going in there and telling all my friends at Google and bosses that I'm leaving to work on this company that sells ball wash was definitely you know, a fun conversation to have. But since then we've done, you know, last year we did $8 million in sales. So doubled from the year before and we're hoping to double again. So it seems like definitely paid off. It was the right decision. So what's worked so well for your growth? I mean, are you exceptionally good at like marketing or do you have any tips for that for anyone who's listening? Because it seems like that's been doing well. Obviously, the sales since you've started have been kind of skyrocketing. Yeah. So for us, Facebook and Instagram marketing has been primary lever. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that we have this ballsy, bold brand, right? I mean, people are just inundated with ads now and for every single product on Facebook and Instagram, but ours, the way that they were built and the way that they're positioned really stand out. It's like one of those products that you're scrolling by and you're like, wait, 
did that say, it did say what that, what that says. And then people tag their friends and they get in this conversation and it's just this brand based on playfulness and fun. It really allows people to leave comments on our Facebook ads. And like I said, tag friends, share posts. So it's really this engaging thing that has really helped us out kind of build our first customers. Since then, it's really just kind of maintaining those customers. We brought in subscriptions. We've expanded the product line. So we've been able to increase AOV, doing more of just kind of keeping that fun, playful brand with that serious product behind it. Closing here, do you have any last words of wisdom or advice for any of the entrepreneurs listening? I mean, it's so cliche, but honestly, there was so many times where I almost didn't go through with this. It was like the idea in the shower of ball wash and like that could be fun, but like, what is that? And then getting acquired by Google and I'm like, you know, should I be doing this? Trying to find that first product manufacturer that took forever, making the leap from Google full-time to this business and brand. I definitely have some risk tolerance, but I will say I'm not the riskiest entrepreneur, but I believed in myself and the product. Luckily, I had a really good support system and I'm just really couldn't be more thankful that I had those people around me to continue to push me. And I believed in myself enough to get past some of those moments and have the business that we have today. So on the other side of adversity that you find the greatest success, and that's definitely been the case for us. Yeah. I think one thing that's been successful with you for anyone who has a product or trying to figure out an angle is like, you have to have an angle to make it interesting, to make me want to try it. Right. And yours does that. So as soon as you got in the door, like you said, it seems like these guys are rebuying, but I think that's an important thing that's worked well for you that maybe other people should probably think about in their business. What do you think about that? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, for us, it's humor, right? I think what's really great about humor is it's the great equalizer amongst people. Our customer base is so diverse compared to, I think, a lot of men's brands or just brands in general to where it's, you have a very specific customer, which is great because you can market very specifically to them. But what I love is we have people from every walk of life, every background, every age range. I mean, we have moms that buy it for their kids. We have husbands and wives. We have LGBTQ community that buy it. And humor for us has really been that thing that's been able to like bring our customers together and in the door as something different. And again, if it wasn't for like a good quality product on the other side of that, I don't think we'd have the business that we have. So yeah, whatever your hook or your angle or your edge is, like that, you need something to get them in the door. Like I said, people are so inundated with Facebook ads and Instagram ads, still a great way to get your business out there, but you really need to be thinking through what's the angle going to be? What's going to get people to stop and take a second as they're scrolling? And for us, it's really been the humor aspect of it. Perfect point. Because if you're just making a body wash and that was did the same thing and couldn't get it in the door, you wouldn't be nearly as successful if you ask me. I don't know if you think the same. 100%. I'm definitely very well aware and very intentionally built this brand with the voice that it has. Yeah, I can tell because that's what I just want to, again, reemphasize. I don't think people think about it enough. I think you're pretty creative. Like I try to do the same thing. And I think like whether you're marketing, whatever, you just need to make people stop, like you said, for one second to give it a try. So if anyone, again, has a product and you're just making something that's a little bit better, but has no angle that's specific to people, then to have them even try it, then it's going to be really a lot harder to succeed versus you having an angle to get in there. And then if it's good enough, they'll want to keep using it. So it sounds like, again, that's kind of worked for you, Adam. So 100%. Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And I guess if anyone wanted to try out your brand, I guess they could go to ballwash.com, right? Yeah, or Ballsy Brand. So the brand's Ballsy, and, uh, but ballwash.com or Ballsy Brand goes right to the same place. Okay, cool. So y'all check that out. And then if anyone would say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach out and say thank you? Yeah, always happy to connect. Adam at ballsybrand.com is my email. And then my Instagram is my full name, Adam Hendel. Love to connect. All right, Adam. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just wanted to remind you, you don't have to go on this entrepreneurial journey alone. It's already hard enough to build a successful business, especially by yourself. We're almost up to 100 members in our Patreon membership group, and we're helping each other out. So stop sitting on the sidelines and being passive. Become an active listener by becoming a member today and joining our group calls, where you get to ask past guests questions and build relationships with them, but not only just them, other people who listen to this very little podcast. So, again, if you're tired of being a passive pussy, then become a member today.